How's everyone doing? Good. Jake's good. <laughs> you guys hear a good sermon last week? I thought Steve Sanders did an amazing job. Y'all think so? Yep. Which I really think, I was thinking about this. Um, actually, I was sitting over there. I got to be a part of the service last week, and sometimes it's nice just to be sitting in and not necessarily having any responsibilities. Uh, but how blessed is our church that we have um, two men that are able to fill in for me, um, apart from justice, you know, Steve Sanders and, and David Snyder, who can fill in um, and do an amazing job preaching the word, right? So... We're blessed. I've, when I talk with different pastors, in fact, a couple of them asked me, um, because I was out of town for a few days, uh, not this past week, but the previous week, and they were asking, um, you know, are you preaching, or who's filling in for you, and a lot of times they have to get someone, uh, it's called like pulpit supply, that's what, that's what pastors call it, they have to get someone from outside the church to do that, um, and, and we're blessed that we have... Um, abled men in the church who can do a great job of bringing the word. So we are truly blessed. I'm blessed um, as a pastor to have gifted men like that within our midst. So praise God. All right, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at uh, three verses today in 1 Thessalonians 4. I know we're kind of hopping back and forth between 4 and 5 because they all deal with the same topic of the Lord's return. But we're going to look at three verses today primarily. Um, it's really kind of our jumping off point. Starting in verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are sending your son back to claim us for his own, that these verses that we just read, they are a reality, and we will see them and experience them, either because we're still here and he's coming back, or because we are dead and being raised from the grave. But we thank you for the salvation that we have in your son. We thank you that it is a real salvation. We thank you that, that you are real and true, that every word that proceeds from your mouth is accurate, is whole, is good, and is righteous. Father, we thank you that you are doing a work in our midst, um, in us individually, but also in us corporately. And we ask that you would continue to foster um, cultures uh, within this church that are glorifying and pleasing to you, Lord. Father, you are so good to us. Uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of gathering with the saints. Remind us that it is a privilege to gather, to corporately worship you, to lift up your name, and to hear your word preached. We pray you continue to bless our time now and let us hear clearly from you. Amen. All right, well, um, some of you have been coming up to me after my sermons the last few weeks uh, asking me, like, hey, what's your, you really haven't tipped your hand so much yet. 
and what's your particular view on this thing or on that position, um, which I've appreciated the interaction, um, and I've enjoyed not tipping my hand, um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm hoping that as I'm working through this a little bit, maybe it becomes clear to you without me tipping my hand, if that makes sense. Today what I want to do is an overview of the various words and theological positions regarding the return of Christ. So sometimes, um, this would be a good sermon to like bookmark or maybe take some extra notes on because it, some of this stuff, it, it just can be easy to kind of forget. But I'll give you a good overview today and hopefully not um, get um, too heady for you. So in regards to the return of Christ, there's, there's two views, okay? Um, and, and everything we're going to talk about today falls within the, the biblical realm of like, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not outside or off the table of biblical theology. So all of these things are accepted positions within Christianity, okay? None of them are heretical. So <clears throat> when I say there's two views, well, there, yeah, there might be a third or a fourth or a fifth. I mean, those are heretical, okay? But I'm talking within the realm of Christianity, what's considered biblical or theological, what's considered um, non-heretical. There's basically two views. The first regarding the return of Christ is what we would call a two-stage view of his return. In this view, uh, Jesus returns twice. The first would be a secret coming of Jesus where believers are snatched away and taken to heaven for a period of time until the final judgment comes. What would we call that snatching away? The rapture, okay. So, in, that, in, in this view, um, the rapture occurs. So Jesus comes, it's like a secret coming. He comes, he snatches the believers away, and then at a later period, he returns again. Um, now, this view was actually the only view I thought there was when I first got saved. I didn't realize there was a second view, but there is. So the first one is a two-stage, what we call two-stage. Why? Because there's two stages of Christ's return, right? A secret and a public. But there's also a one-stage view. Christ only returns once. That's the one stage. Uh, this is at the end of time when the final judgment occurs. And what we call the rapture is a public event, not a secret event. Now, everyone will have one of these two views regarding Christ's return. He'll return in a two-stage process, or he'll return in a one-stage process. The two-stage, secret and public. The one-stage is just public, just once. So that's, that's, that's the view of Christ's return. Um, a lot of people, if they have the two-stage view, are going to look at 1 Thessalonians. That's kind of why we're talking about it. And they're going to point to this passage right here as evidence of that two-stage. Let's talk about the tribulation for a moment. Now, when we talk about the tribulation, uh, there's, there's two types. There's the general tribulation that Scripture talks about that we will encounter and face hardships and sufferings, things that God's people will have to go through and will have to pass through. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 and verse 21, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, some of these verses we're going to look at, different versions will translate, some will translate tribulations, some will translate uh, afflictions, okay? 
those are uh, sort of synonymous, but really the verses that we're looking at all use the same Greek word, which I think is important. So it's that same Greek word that's going to be flavored throughout each of these verses. So through many tribulations, maybe yours says afflictions, we must enter the kingdom of God. So we're, we as believers will go through tribulations, we'll go through afflictions, and then there's almost like a, a second category that's similar, sufferings, right? This word, uh, afflictions or tribulations, however you want to translate it, actually occurs a number of times in 1 Thessalonians. So let's just look at those occurrences back in 1 Thessalonians. Let's go to chapter 1. In verse 6, Paul says this, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much, what's your version say? Okay, afflictions. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's that Greek word, flipsis. Look a couple uh, chapters later, chapter 3. Verse 1, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. It's the same Greek word. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Now it goes, if we keep reading, which we're going to do, we're going to see the same word used again. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. There's that word again, affliction. Yours might say tribulation. What's the idea here? That we will, in this life, have tribulations. It's the general sense, afflictions. We, we'll see it again in Second Thessalonians, and since we're going to be going there uh, at some point in the future, once we get through First Thessalonians, why don't we just look at it as a little preview. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. He goes on, verse 5, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So look at some of those key words in verse 4 and 6. You got persecution, affliction, um, those two. And then sometimes we get tribulation and we also get, uh, verse 5, you get suffering. So there's, there's some overlaps in what those terms mean and how they apply to us. But the point is, we're going to be pressed upon by the world and by Satan. We will go through tribulations. That's more the general idea. But a lot of times when people talk about the tribulation, they're referring to what happens in the end times. Uh, Jesus calls it the great tribulation. Look at Matthew 24. He starts out in verse 21 of 24. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, 
and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. What's that tribulation? Well, it's the great tribulation that he mentioned a few verses earlier, right? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, what happens? The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, does this have a resemblance to what we read in 1 Thessalonians 4? Right? You got Jesus coming back on the clouds. There's angels. There's a loud trumpet call. And what happens? The elect are gathered together. That would be the great tribulation. That will happen at the end of time. Now, how long will this tribulation last? Anybody know? I hear whispers, but not much confidence. <clears throat> seven years. But do you know why seven years? It's not a New Testament teaching. It comes from Daniel 9. Daniel talks about 70 weeks of years for the accomplishment of God's redemption. But the thing is, the arguments for that and the details are, are so involved that we're not going to work through them today. Um, many argue that the 70 week, 70th week of Daniel is separated from the first 69, and it begins with basically the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. So this is where the idea of, of a seven-year tribulation comes in. And then the New Testament book of Revelation picks up on that, and you'll see references to, to three and a half years. Okay, so that's the tribulation. What about the rapture? Like, where does that word even come from? You ever wondered that? It's not Greek. It's actually Latin. Okay, so it actually comes, and let's, let's look back at it, because I do want you to see this. <clears throat> Back in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 17, it starts out, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Okay, so that will be caught up um, in the Latin, so the Latin Vulgate. So originally, just a little Bible translation history, um, you had it originally written in what language? Greek, right? New Testament Greek. Then eventually, long story short, people... Greek fell out of, of, of use, so they wanted, it's kind of ironic because it caused so many problems later in church history, but they wanted a version in the language of the people. Well, what was the language of the people? It was Latin, okay? So the Vulgate, which is where we get our word vulgar, which has more of a negative connotation, the Vulgate just means common, 
They wanted a common translation for the people. Why? So that they could read it. There's irony there because then what happened after hundreds of years, people can't read Latin anymore. But what does the church want to do? No translations but Latin. <clears throat> Ironically, they were using the translation that was put into Latin so that people could access it. It's kind of sad. So that word is from uh, the Latin word, uh, rapao, like to seize or to snatch away. So when they talk about the rapture, they're really getting it from that uh, will be caught up from the Latin Vulgate, from Rapa'o. So when we, when we talk about the rapture, actually, when people say, well, I don't, some people might say, I don't, I don't believe in the rapture. They're, in one sense, they're probably referring because they have a one-stage view of Christ's return. But in, an, in a broader sense, everyone believes in the rapture because it's just a word that's used here that describes this particular instance of us being caught up in the clouds with Jesus. And if you believe the Bible, then you believe we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds, right? Okay, so that's where the term comes from. Um, <clears throat> we want to remember this. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul is addressing the topic of the resurrection of the believers who have died, right? They've died, and, and, and the Thessalonian church is concerned that you know, my, my, my brother in Christ who's died, or my sister in Christ who's died, might be their mom, their dad, their friend, whoever. Maybe their, their you know, in, infant mortality was more of a thing back then. Kids died. You know, what about these, these young kids that had died in the faith? Like, what happens to them? That is the situation that Paul is addressing in First Thessalonians here. So we want to remember that. He's, he's actually not directly dealing with anything about the removal of the church prior to or during the tribulation. He's not trying to make a theological statement that this is going to happen before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation. Anything we, we try to glean from that, we might be able to do that, but it's really completely apart from the main point. What is he trying to do? Give them assurance, what? That whether you're dead right now or alive, when Christ returns, you're going to be okay. You'll be with him. That is the main thrust of the passage there. Now, <clears throat> when we talk about the rapture um, in, in the more traditional sense of the secret coming of Christ and, and being snatched away, a lot of times you'll hear um, like the Left Behind series, which was popular, I don't know, maybe a decade, 15 years ago. That really popularized the theory of that secret coming of Christ. The Schofield Reference Bible, maybe some of you have a Schofield Reference Bible, um, is replete with references to that. It really became... Um, popular by John Nelson Darby, who developed and kind of like extrapolated that whole idea of this um, of rapture of the church. So let's talk about the tribulation um, for a second within the context of the rapture. There's four views. Four views of the tribulation. Uh, there's the pre-tribulation rapture. This view maintains the rapture occurs when Jesus comes secretly to gather the church before the seven years. That's the pre, right? Before the tribulation. The mid-tribulation, what do you think the mid-tribulation rapture is? In the middle, right? Similar to the pre-tribulation, except it locates the rapture after the first three and a half years. So it points to some different passages in Revelation where it mentions the three and a half years. Um, the third position is the pre-wrath rapture. What do you guys think about that? 
the pre-wrath rapture would be <clears throat> the position that the rapture will occur toward the end of the tribulation before the outpouring of God's wrath, which is mentioned in Revelation 16. So somewhere in those seven years, but more towards the end of the seven years. The first three are very similar. Pre-trib, mid-trib, and pre-wrath trib all include a secret return of Christ. The post-tribulation position does not include a secret return of Christ. This position would hold that the church will go through the great tribulation on earth after the great tribulation, Christ's return. And then what we read in 1 Thessalonians is fulfilled, and that is the end of the ages, so to speak. This view sees the rapture as occurring simultaneous to the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation. The saints meet the Lord in the air and accompany him back as the rightful king of the earth. Um, this has been the traditional understanding of the church for about 1,800 years, actually. I was kind of surprised to find that out. Number four, the post-tribulation. Um, some form of post-tribulation is typically affirmed in either amillennial, post-millennial, or even historical premillennial eschatology. Um, and while the bodily resurrection of believers, which we'll talk about in a moment, is a long-established doctrine in Christian faith, you know, that the body will be raised physically, the specific terminology of, of rapture um, only came into popular usage in about the mid-1800s. Um, next week, we'll, we'll look at some of this uh, return of Christ a little more in depth. But, but here's what I want to say as we've reviewed some of these terms, is I want to emphasize a few things. And I want to make sure that the, the primary things remain primary, right? It's important to emphasize that Christ will return physically. He will return physically. Um, that is not the view of some uh, denominations, some more liberal denominations. They'll get into like a spiritual return. It, it just gets kind of it gets kind of odd because you just can't read passages like the one we started today and come away with any other conclusion than that Jesus himself is coming back. Not some messenger or some spirit of his or anything like that, but Jesus himself. So you'd have to really twist the text to end up somewhere else. But that's actually one of the tenets of the Christian faith. Okay, Christ rose physically. Amen? That's important. And he returns physically. And that's important. Why is that important? Well, one, Christ rising physically, if it's just some, like, spiritual resurrection, I mean, that's, like, very esoteric and kind of odd. In order to have victory over the grave, you have to have victory over the grave. Okay? You have to have, show you have the power over it by, by rising from the dead. Not just spiritually, but, but actually and physically. That's why when he's talking to his disciples... He's like, you know, put your hand here. Look at the nails. Look at the nail marks, right? I mean, he's inviting them into it. He eats uh, a piece of fish with them. Physical body. <clears throat> Anytime Christianity gets attacked, this will be one of the tenets that gets attacked. That Jesus rose physically. Why? Because that's the power of God. It's, it, it would be easy to kind of esotericize it and, and make it into something and just, oh, it's just like, in, in, good, in good thoughts, he rose or something. That's what, when, when I first got saved, um, 
a pastor tried to explain to me. I was like, what? That's just odd. Just his good thoughts rose or something. I don't even know what that means. So that's one of the things we want to emphasize. Christ will return physically. Another tenet. We will be raised physically. What does that mean? There is a one-to-one correspondence between the body you have now and the body you will have. Think about that. The current body you have will be the one that God raises. The current body you have will be the one that God glorifies. There's a one-to-one correspondence. It's not just going to be a completely different, completely... What is, what, when Christ comes and he's like, what does it say? Those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. But what happens before that? We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ, will, will, the dead in Christ rise first. Where are they rising from? The grave. Revelation talks about it, like wherever they're at. They might have died in the ocean. They might have died up on the mountains. They might have died in the valley. Wherever they're at, their body will be, we don't know how, but in some, some way, reconstructed. God, you know, some people have just died a couple months or a couple years ago. They haven't completely rotted away. Others, who knows where they're at? Dead in the ocean, eaten by the fish? But God will take their body and resurrect that body, and he will glorify that body. It is a one-to-one correspondence. The same body, friends, that we will one day lay to rest of yours, or maybe you'll lay mine to rest, Um, that same body that went into the grave will be the same one that comes up, except glorified. So let's have hope, because this world needs hope. Uh, Some of you know I do some power washing on the side. Uh, My first job of the season was just this last week. And um, my son, my oldest son, Logan, was helping me out. And we finish up, and um, the lady has a signed contract. Uh, It's right there. Logan and I are standing there. And um, she, she hands me the check, and it's not for the full amount. And I'm like, this isn't for the full amount. And she ends up having a complete meltdown. A complete meltdown. But she wanted to pay less. That's the, the short, short, short version is she wanted to pay less. I'm like, are you happy with the service? Yes. Did I do everything that I said I was going to do? Yes. Did I meet the terms of the contract? Yes. Why won't you pay the full amount? <laughs> and she has like a meltdown of meltdowns. Like it goes on so long, like a- after a little bit, Logan just kind of like, just kind of like slowly walks away, which I didn't blame him and was really the right call for him as I continued to have verbal abuse heaped upon me. Um, and here's the thing. You know what? The, the, her, her, her qualm was over. Uh, she, she wanted to pay $100 less. $100 less. I'm like, if it's going to just like help your day be a little bit better, that was the end result, it was a little frustrating on my part because I was just like, hey, can we talk about Like she was having a meltdown. I'm like, can we just talk about it? Because I'm just trying to understand your position right now. I just want to understand, like, how you think you can pay less. Help me understand that. If I can understand it, it'll make it a lot easier for me to somehow cut you a break. Um, she, did, she literally did not, not want to talk about it. She just wanted to talk about how upset she was. But it was over 100 bucks. Um, so for whether it was, it was a good call or not, I was just like, man, if, if 100 bucks is going to just turn you into what, what it's turned you into, just, like, keep the 100 bucks. That, that's fine. Like, 
If a hundred bucks, you know, one of the sayings that my mom kind of always encouraged me with, and she got it from her from her dad, was like, if if money can solve your problems, you you really don't have problems. That's what that was kind of a saying in our in our family growing up. Is money was tight, but if if that's all the problems we had, we didn't really have major problems. Uh, there's all sorts of other hor- more horrible problems that money can't solve. And so I was just like, man, for a hundred bucks, it's just it's just not worth it. Like you know, like <clears throat> it's just like us praying for us to come in. You know, we mentioned at the at the member meeting, you know, twenty nine thousand over budget, so we could pay off the building, right? That's our prayer this year. We'll come twenty nine thousand because at the end of this year we will owe. Uh, on this building and the property, $29,000. And, and so that's our prayer is that at the end of the year, December 31st, um, we have our budget, and then we come 29000 above it. And then January 1st, 2022, you know, we write a check to the mortgage company, and we completely have the building paid off. So that's what the pastors have felt led for us as a congregation to pray and believe. <clears throat> I feel like it falls into that same category of the $100. Like, like God owns all of it. So what is $29,000 to him, right? And what's $100 to him? So if this lady needs $100 to make, to take care of things, like God, God will figure out that $100 for me. If, if he needs it, he'll figure it to get away into my pocket some other way. The $29,000, like the Lord's got that. And if he wants us to end up $29,000, then he'll move this church to make sure we end up $29,000 over. It's no, big, it's no big deal in the economy of God, Right? So why get bent out of shape over stuff like that? Sometimes, friends, we can end up like that lady where we get bent out of shape over small stuff. Me included. The smallest of the smallest of the smallest of things. We could have signed our name to a contract. We could have given our word on something. And then we get bent out of shape when things don't go our way. Something as small, I won't even tell you what frustrated me this morning, but it was the smallest of the smallest of things. So small. And I let it get me bent out of shape. Thankfully, no one else was around. So it was just me and Jesus, okay? <laughs> and Jesus took care of it, thankfully. <clears throat> but I let, it get, I let it bend me out of shape. It wasn't even 100 bucks. It wasn't even 5 bucks. But it bent me out of shape. What, what's happening when that happens to us? I think we're losing, we're losing track of the bigger picture. That we have a Savior who is amazing and gracious and loves us so much. We have a, a world of people where many of them are going to hell. And we have a God who's been good to save us from that punishment that we deserve. Friends, that should like turn our worldview and our thinking upside down on every matter. Big things and small things. And it should affect how we walk out our Christianity, how we live out our Christianity, how we speak out our Christianity. In all facets and in all ways. Because it goes back to what? The hope. Like, if we have the hope in Christ, then what is the $100? If we have the hope in Christ, what is the $29,000? If we have the hope in Christ, what is that stupid little piece of gum that ended up in my carpet this morning? Like, we have the hope of Christ. Who cares about that stuff? Like, God will, will figure it out, and he will take care of it. And sometimes we just need to let certain small things just like, like, why would we let that affect our relationship with Christ? I remember one of my disciples encouraged me, me because I was letting someone else kind of like negatively impact my relationship with Christ. And it's just like, why are you going to like basically give someone that much influence in a negative way over you? To influence your relationship with Christ in a bad way, that's not good. And we let small things throughout our daily life totally derail us from walking with Jesus. And it's not good. 
So let's learn and let's keep that bigger picture that we have the hope of Jesus. Amen? That he is coming back for us. Friends, this world needs that hope. It needs that hope. It needs that hope. So let's continue to set our heart on things above. Colossians 3. Why? Because that's where Christ is seated, right? We're looking to him. We're looking to him. It's like the psalm says. You know, it talks about like, where do I look? And where does my hope come from? What does it say? My hope comes from you. It comes from the Lord. That's where our hope is the source of. That's who we look to for hope. And that's who we place our hope in. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would remind us of the hope that we have in you. You've been gracious to save us, Lord. And we do cry out, Hosanna, like you are great. Like, save us. Save us from our sins. Save us from our wickedness. Save us from our wretched selves. Save us from the fact that we do get bent out of shape over the silliest of things. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's small stuff. Sometimes it's just stuff that is so inconsequential. And forgive us for that, Lord. Remind us of the hope of heaven. Remind us that you are so good. Remind us that regardless of how long we are here, you will see us through to the end. You will walk with us. Whatever sufferings, whatever tribulations, whatever afflictions, you will walk with us. And you will strengthen us and we can make it through. Thank you that you are a righteous God and you are a faithful God who will see us through to the end. We love you, Lord. Amen.